welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. As always with Bayern Munich, there's a ton to talk about. This week especially, the club generated a lot of news with a, quite a few stories that leaked out through Sport Build pertaining to Julian Nagelsmann, his status with the club, and how much backing he is getting from the front office and we will dive head first into that. Uh, but I did want to mention uh, we are at the top of this. I w- really wanted to say we are still working on the permanent solution for our podcast network to see where we end up. We have a couple of irons in the fire right now. We are working with SBN to figure out a, a good landing spot. We have a couple of non-SBN related options as well. But as of now, we're trying to take it slow and make sure that whatever decision we do make, we end up in the right spot. So I did want to tie in the listeners as to what's going on, what we're up to, and what the status of everything revolving around our podcast network and what that will look like in the future. Wanted to tie you in in all of that. So with that out of the way, let's jump right into things. Uh, obviously, the biggest news of the week was a series of stories that came out through Sport Build, and they all pertained to Julian Nagelsmann. And how much backing he's getting from everyone at the club. The pieces themselves included comments from Brazo, from Herbert Heiner, from Oliver Kahn. And unanimously, all of the bigwigs at the club are backing Nagelsmann. And it's what you would expect at this point. Nagelsmann was a targeted hire. Once Hansi Flick decided he was going to move on, that he did not want to be at Bayern Munich any longer, Nagelsmann was just about the only selection that Byron wanted. They had their eyes on him. He was clearly the man who they wanted to lead the club into this next generation. And I'll say this uh, on the surface, you know, I think that they did the proper thing and then they went out, they got their man. Uh, first they identified him, then they got him. And now they are trying to cultivate him into being a leader for this club, a long-term leader that they can depend on and that they can envision seeing leading this generation of players who will take over for the likes of Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer, and so on. But with this public backing, some of the backlash that came out of it was one particular part of the story where uh, the, the club is backing Nagelsmann and his benching of Thomas Muller, which I found pretty interesting. And if you read I Need No Names post on that matter this week, you did see a statistical-based argument stating that the team is actually better with Muller on the field than they are with him on the bench. And I think there's a lot of merit to that in the statistics, but I think when you also look at the eye test, you can see for yourself that Muller makes a defined impact whenever he's on the pitch. And it does to me when I watch games, I think that the team looks better without him. Of course, last weekend we saw Muller get the quick hook when Dio Upamakano was hit with a red card very early in the match. And it was an embarrassing situation for Muller. Even Nagelsmann himself called the situation quote unquote crappy. Um, And, you know, it was a bad look to do a club legend like that and to, to yank him off the pitch really in my mind, unnecessarily uh, and to put a team in the situation that it was in to play down a man without really any veteran leadership there. 
it was a bad move. And we saw quite a few comments come in from pundits saying that, you know, I think Didi Haman was one and Lothar Matas was another that were, they didn't understand the rationale and taking off your captain, your veteran leader, the person who had been there that many times and, and played in that situation before how that made any sense. And I know Nagelsmann was, was working in the heat of the moment. He did what he felt was best, but the first thing that popped into my mind wasn't necessarily like would Mueller feel insulted about this. It was, this is a product of Ryan Gravenberg complaining to the media about his playing time because in my mind, I think you had to look at that situation. And if you were going to bring a more defensive player on like Giaconcello, you had to take off Gravenberg. I think that was the only move. I think Muller was a player that you needed on for at least 60 minutes of that match. Uh, to pull him off when you did, I think, was a mistake. Obviously, we can look at the result of the match and say that, you know, it, it didn't work out. Uh, and in the end, it, it did not. But I, I question that. But when you look at this bigger picture, and that was just a small microcosm of the day-to-day decisions that Nagelsmann has to make and the scrutiny that he's under, I understand why the club is really going to try and back Nagelsmann and everything. I get why they are going to push him forward and support him and give him the say that he wants in personnel decisions and the players that he wants to have on his roster. In my mind, I think if you look at everything that has come about and you look at the players that Bayern Munich is acquiring the direction they're going in for the types of players they're acquiring. The club is trying to put together a roster for Julian Nagelsmann that they think will work for him. And I, and I undoubtedly Nagelsmann has a lot of input in that. I think in the past, what we were used to was a coach like Hansi Flick going to the board and saying, I want these players and not getting them or Nico Kovac saying, I want to run a different system or I need these players to run my system and then not getting them. And I think that for a long time, at least in the recent history of the club, the sporting side and the decision makers in the, in the front office, they really held all the cards, but I think to get Nagelsmann on board and to try and make him the kind of manager that would stick around for a long time, the club is having to cede some of its power. And whether this works out in the long run or not remains to be seen. But right now, Nagelsmann has the power and the authority to not just help build this roster, but to do things and play in different styles that I don't think would have flown even three to four years ago. And I am a person who is more flexible in my belief system with how the game is played. I've said this from the beginning especially when they hired Nagelsmann. When you when you hire a coach, you have to let him coach the way he feels most comfortable working with this roster of players. And there's a big back three, back four debate, and we covered a little bit of that last week on this show. But you could even see it in the BFW community where there are a lot of people who just don't believe in the back three or that can work long-term or that you can really sustain proper results using it. I won't go that far. I think that Nagelsmann needs to be able to have the flexibility to coach that system if that's what he wants to do, if that's what he thinks is best. In the end, I think a coach or a player needs to fail on their own accord. They need to, I should say, fail or succeed, right? But they need to have the say to be able to do things the way they want to do them. Otherwise, you're really cheating them of the opportunity to be able to make their imprint on a club. I think we see it time and time again where coaches are hired 
but then they have no say in personnel and they might have a system force down their throat where they might have players that they absolutely cannot work with on the roster, really tainting their ability to be able to do what they want. And, and this is a case where I think Byron has chosen to evolve a little bit and give the coach what he wants, allow him to have that flexibility to be able to make the changes that he sees fit. And, you know, we won't know the eventual outcome of this. I mean, if he goes out and he wins a treble this season, the club looks like a genius that they've made the right move. If they go out and they don't win any titles this year, which is a slim possibility, I think you're going to have a lot of heat directed at the front office, at the executives, and maybe not as much at, at them as, as Nogglesman will get, but there will definitely be a spread of blame to go about if things go awry. For Nogglesman, I think he is in an ideal situation. He's at a power club. He's got authority and he's got just a bottomless pit of talent on his roster. I mean, there is so much talent on that team. It's hard to think that they ever are going to be in a situation where no matter what the injuries are or who can't play a game or who's suspended, that they don't have a viable backup or solution on the bench. And it makes me wonder if in the end, all of that talent is going to be manageable. And and I've, you know me, I have railed about this time and time again for years that I worry that not having enough developmental players or enough veteran established backups, people that understand their roles, whether you're a young player who's growing into the game and you know you need time to develop your own skills to be ready for first team play, or whether you're a veteran at the tail end of his career who still has some skill and still has the guile to play, but maybe can't do it full time. If you don't have that type of mix, I think you do run the risk of of having these roster headaches that to me, if things stay the way they are, I think Nogglesman is going to slam right into that. And I always should look at the wing situation, especially because right now it doesn't really seem like Byron's going to be using wings at this point. I think when Upamakano is back off his red card uh, in the Bundesliga and Pavar is past his red card in the Champions League, I think the team's going to settle into a back three. And I think that there's going to be basically a system using two attacking midfielders and a striker with a couple of wing backs rather than wings. And we've seen Kingsley come on, be able to shift pretty seamlessly into playing a wing back role, but you know, that's because Nusar Mizrahi is out. You also have John Cancelo, Alfonso Davies, Josip Stanisic able to fill those roles. The wings that are left over, including Coman with Leroy Sané, Sadio Mane, and Serge Gnabry, I don't see there being a ton of opportunity for them. I think there'll be one spot open in that starting 11, and I think it will be next to Jamal Musiala at working as an attacking midfielder. And more often than not, we've seen Leroy Sané fill that role, but what happens to Sadio Mane? Does he come back and play one of those roles? Does Nagelsmann shift back to uh, a back four-based formation like a 4-2-3-1 to be able to use Mane? Will Mane eventually take over a striker spot uh, ahead of Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting? These are all possibilities, but what worries me is we're at this stage of the season, and I'm someone who follows the team every day. I write about the team every day. I talk about the team a couple of times a week. And I have no idea how this will play out. Uh, I have always been a little skeptical skeptical of how the Mane move itself would really work out in the long run for this season. I think in the beginning, it was the star power 
there were some injuries and you had this good mix of Mane being able to look to establish himself without really alienating too many members of the team. But now I think there's this expectation from Mane that he absolutely has a starting role. But who does it come at the expense of? Leroy Sané, who just a couple of years ago was the heralded free agent, or not free agent, but transfer signing that you know was supposed to change the club's direction and push them into the next generation? Is it Coman, who won a Champions League title for you with a, a header goal back in 2020? Someone who uh, is on pace to win more titles than anyone ever. Uh, I mean, he has had an incredible record. Is it Gnabry, someone who has risen time and time again on the big stage and shown what he can do? There are multiple players from that mix that are going to have to take a, a backseat. Uh, you notice the one player I haven't brought up is Jamal Musiala, but, because even though Musiala has not looked like himself of late, he is definitely the player that Byron is building around, and he is the one that's going to stay on the field no matter what. So I I do think that the the extreme backing that Nagelsmann has is going to allow him to have the confidence to even work through this type of situation. But I do think for fans, it's going to create some issues. It's going to create issues because there's quite a large segment of the fan base that is not ready to see Thomas Muller, you know, confined to a bench role. And something I'll write about for Friday's weekend warm up column is how much longer will Muller put up with it? How much longer does he want to stay around to be an afterthought? Uh, I don't know that he's got that mentality. And I know that, you know, any great player has a stay and fight for your spot type of line of thinking, but it, it doesn't appear that no, no matter what Mueller does at this stage, he's going to be able to really compete for a starting role at this stage. They just have too many players to cram into too few spots. And Mueller being the age that he is, being at the stage of the career the, that he is right now, I don't know that he is in the plans really other than being on the roster. And I, listen, I don't know that there's the type of friction that we had read about between Muller and Nagelsmann that we, like I said, we read about with Lewandowski and Nagelsmann. I don't think it's quite there, but we know how Muller has responded to this in the past. He always handles it like a professional at first, but then it does great on him. And eventually we start seeing some stories <laughs> leak out to the media. Of course, that is a, uh, a little theory we've had that Thomas Muller is the build mole, but that's we just have some fun with that. We have no idea if that's true, but it is kind of funny to think about. But either way, uh, Thomas Muller's future at the club is one of those things that will be tied to Julian Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann's strategic vision for what is to come. And if I'm looking at it right now, I don't think that Muller is in those plans. And I think Nagelsmann knows that. And I think Nagelsmann also knows he's got so many other positions he needs to work out and players that he needs to take care of at this point that, you know, Muller being where he is, uh, the veteran part of his career toward the end, we're seeing him in his twilight years. It's just not that important for Nagelsmann to have to take care of him the way we might've seen Hansi Flick work with Muller. So um, in the end, the club backing Nagelsmann to effectively make all of these decisions and not stick their hands in and give their opinions and allow him to succeed or fail on his own. I think it's the right move. I think it's the proper backing, but I do think there are going to be some roadblocks along the way here. There are going to be some bumps in the road. And despite the fact that the club is going to really give him the free reign to, to do what he wants to do and to support him every step along the way, it's not going to be easy. There are going to be periods of failure. Um, you can even look at this season and say, 
you know, Byron has been very, very good. Uh, they have two losses, right? I mean, that's pretty damn good. But at the same time, they've also underperformed for different periods. And that's why they have, I believe it's seven draws now. So Byron is in a, in a very odd space in its club history. They're at a point where they need to turn the club over and, and take veterans like Muller and Neuer and be able to, to start to ease them out. But in reality, if Neuer wasn't hurt, you would easily make the case that Neuer and Muller were both two of the 11 most important players on the team. And no matter what Nagelsmann thinks Muller's status is or what Neuer's status might be when he comes back, if Neuer comes back fully healthy and able to play like he did, he's still one of the top handful of goalies in the world. If Muller continues to uh, impact games like we've seen him do when he enters them, which might not be that much moving forward. Um, you know, it's tough to argue against the type of player that, you know, he is at this stage and, and the impact that he's still able to make. Uh, so, you know, when you look at the the greater situation, you have to say the club's doing the right thing, but there are going to be a lot of issues along the way. And I think right now, a good portion of the fans are, are worried about Thomas Muller's future. I think when we hit the summer, when Neuer starts to come back, I think we're going to see some serious concern about what the future holds for him as well. But uh, this could be a summer of turnover. We could start to see some of the players get a feel for where they sit on the roster and start to take a look at, do they want to take the chance of having another season where they might not be a full-time starter? And I think for players like Serge Gnabry, potentially Kingsley Coman, you know, you're going to look at, and maybe even Leroy Sané, you're going to look at and see how Sadio Mane is handled over the course of the rest of this season. And it might force you to take a look at your status on the team and see what you might want to do for the rest of your career, especially in the 2023-2024 season. So we'll see what happens with Nagelsmann. Uh, he's obviously going to be judged pretty heavily on what happens the rest of the season, but whatever happens, pass or fail, he is going to push forward and be supported along the way. One of the other big topics of the week, and this came about last weekend, was Neymar's injury and what kind of Im- people immediately started to think about what kind of impact that might have and this, the return leg of the Champions League tie between Bayern Munich and PSG. Uh Listen, at, the, at this point, we don't know for sure if, if Neymar is going to miss the match. It does look like it right now based on the p- reports that we've seen. But, I mean, if you read the reports last time around for the first leg, at different points we saw Kylian Mbappe ruled out, Lionel Messi ruled out. So I'm not going to believe Neymar's not playing until Neymar's sitting in the stands at the Allianz Arena or sitting at home on his couch while the game's being played. Otherwise, I'm going to assume he's going to play but humor me for a bit, and let's just say that, that Neymar does not play and that PSG has to go into this match with Kylian Mbappe and Lionel Messi as their top two options and the two players that Bayern will have to spend the most time trying to neutralize. I still think PSG is a very, very dangerous team at this point. And I know there are quite a few people that think that PSG just – they don't have that heart. They don't have that championship mentality to be able to get past a team like Bayern Munich on Bayern's home soil. And, and yeah, I get that. I totally understand it. And and to be honest, if you ask me to pick the game right now, I'm going to pick Bayern to win. We'll see how that 
changes over the course of the next week and a half or whatever. But I think Byron is still the favorite, but not having Neymar as much as that might seem like it hurts. I think this is a position where we're going to see Mbappe start to take more of the weight and put it on his shoulders. And I think the one thing you don't want if you're a Bayern fan is a determined Mbappe to show what he's capable of and how he can lead PSG. Because when you have Neymar there, there's a certain amount of spotlight that goes toward him. When you have Messi there, you have his legions and legions of fanboys who automatically make him the top target. But in the end, right now, the best player on PSG is Kylian Mbappe. And if Mbappe is motivated and if he wants to shoulder this burden and he wants to lead PSG, that's going to be a very dangerous situation because I don't care if Alfonso Davies plays and matches up against him or if it's Jao Cancelo or whoever, Usar Mizrahi, whoever Byron wants to try and line up opposite him, it's going to be a very difficult assignment because one thing we know about Mbappe is that he's insanely talented, insanely productive. And I think if he's driven to achieve success in this match, it's going to be really hard to hold him down. So even without Neymar, PSG is going to be extremely formidable. I expect it to be a great match. Of course, I will dive into that big time a little bit later on. But uh, of course, in another episode, but uh, I do think that Mbappe, this is just the kind of signal for Mbappe to really raise his game. and And that's a scary prospect to me. One of the other big pieces of news that we saw this week is that Bayern Munich is reportedly considering a contract extension for Benjamin Pavar. And this this whole saga has been so back and forth. Pavar wants to play center back, which if Bayern's playing their typical 4-2-3-1, it doesn't look like it's going to be possible. You have Matthijs De Ligt, Dio Upamecano, and Luca Hernandez. This is the top three center backs right off the bat. No questions asked. Pavar would be the fourth man in. And if you want to look at the right-back situation, Bayern has shown a proclivity to use Nusar Mizrahi there. They also have Jao Cancelo on loan if Bayern opts to purchase him, which I'm very iffy on right now. I don't I don't know if I would make that move, uh, and I'll touch on that in a second. But if they do have that situation where you have Cancelo and Mizrahi, you don't need Pavar to play right-back. But if Nagelsmann does formally switch to a back three, Pavar instantly becomes an important piece of the puzzle, even as a fourth center back, because as we've seen with Luca Hernandez, he's been prone to injury over the years. Matthijs De Ligt is, has definitely had some knocks over the course of this season. Upa Meccano, the same. Uh, it's a very physical position. I think if you play a back three, you absolutely need four bonafide starters, four world-class caliber starters if you're going to play that formation. And I think it wouldn't be such a bad idea to extend Benjamin Pavar. But if Bayern Munich makes the decision to go out and exercise, I don't even know what the, the cost would be, but if they want to bring Giaconcello to Germany on a permanent basis, it would absolutely have a trickle-down effect on what they could do with Pavar. I, I believe that firmly. And if they go out and get Cancelo, then you're going to have two starting caliber right backs with Mesrali and Cancelo. I don't know how you manage that situation. Cancelo has already kind of shown that if he's not going to be a starter, that he is absolutely going to be a headache. Um, as for Mesrali, he's probably wondering, what the hell did I do wrong? I, I got uh, you know, COVID at the World Cup and I had some after effects from that. It's not my fault that I'm in this situation. Um, so... 
you know, the whole thing becomes very curious into how all of these decisions are tied in. You also have that long-term future look at Alfonso Davies and if he wants to remain with the club. We have heard so many rumors about the Premier League clubs really looking at Davies or Real Madrid. Uh, Of course, he is going to demand uh, a huge contract next time around. And it it really does remain to be seen if Davies wants to stay with Bayern Munich long-term. But all of those decisions are connected because – if Bayern Munich decides they need, they're going to need to spend a ton on Davies and that they want to bring in Cancelo, it's going to make it very difficult for Pavar to remain with Bayern Munich. And we don't even know for sure if Pavar is leaning that way at all. We do know he wants to play center back. We do know that he wants a starting role. And we also know that Inter Milan is very, very interested in him and tried to make a very strong play for him toward the end of the winter transfer window deadline. For Pavar, I think it would not be an awful move to re-up with Byron because I think he'll get enough playing time. And I think if Nagelsmann can use a rotation, and, and a legit rotation, not like, you know, when, when people get hurt or, you know, every you know 10 games he'd rest one of his starters. I think if he legitimately committed to using those four center backs in a three-person rotation and rotating every game, he not only would build some continuity among all the members – because eventually, over the course of a season, they're going to figure it out. They're going to be able to have seamless communication with each other. I think it, it's the best possible scenario because it also does protect you against injury. When you have players like Delict and you have Luca Hernandez, two players that have been known to have some issues from time to time, you need a very steady player like Pavar. And I think Pavar has done very, very well this year. Uh, he catches a lot of heat on social media. He catches a lot of heat at BFW. But I think if you're looking at a situation where, you know, he's your fourth center back and he's going to be a rotation player and get a lot of playing time, but also be able to provide you the security that he can jump out to wing back or play right back in a back four if necessary. I think it's a no brainer move. And if Pavar wants to be at Bayern Munich and he wants to stay and compete for a role like that, I think by all means, the club should retain him and bring him back and make sure that he's a piece of this puzzle moving forward because I think he can be the type of player that really does help guide the club. I mean, he, he, listen for all Pavar's issues and he, and he might have an attitude issue. He might have some, he, he might have uh, some issues off the field in terms of how he handles pressure situations or how he deals with things. We, he's talked about being depressed. Those are some things that might not be concerning to an average fan, but from a club perspective, they might be looking, is, it, is he depressed because he's not happy here? Will that become a situation if he's not playing? Will he fall into this, this malaise that, that we can't help him with? I think those are things the club will consider. But in the end, Pavar has been a, a really good player for them. I think he, at times, plays with this crazy edge that you wouldn't expect out of him, like we saw in the first leg of the Champions League match against PSG, where he was inside of so many players' heads at PSG that even though he got that red card, he was one of the more impactful players on the pitch because we saw it with Neymar. I mean, Neymar was concerned about Pavar. He was concerned about getting retribution for Pavar, you know, having contact with him. He has picked up and developed this, this style of play where it looks like he just doesn't care if anyone likes him or not. And I kind of like a player like that. I don't think he's out there to be popular. I don't think he's out there to to make friends. I think he's out there to compete and play. And I never would have thought that about, about Pavar. And I'm not saying I thought he was soft or anything, 
but I didn't see him have that real kind of edge to him where he is really getting under the opposition skin. I never saw that until recently. And now that I'm seeing it, I'm actually a little more intrigued to keep him around Sabinerstrasse because it's not really something anyone else on that back line has. I mean, you could really argue Luca Hernandez is, is like that. And for sure, Hernandez can be very feisty, but he doesn't necessarily grind on opponents and get opponents pissed off at him like Bavar seems to be able to do. It's the whole Dale Hunter theory that I, I talked about a couple of weeks ago. If you have a player like that who makes things uneasy for the opposition, it's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. A couple of things that we saw this week, and we'll hit on a couple of quick transfer rumors before we dive into The Last of Us. Uh, we saw, again, these stories prop up every few months, and we saw that Bayern Munich will be competing with Real Madrid and FC Barcelona for Bayer Leverkusen's Florian Verts. Verts has come back in his first seven games after that awful, awful and massive knee injury. He's come back to have one goal and three assists in seven games, which is really good, all things considered. Leverkusen is in this weird state as a squad where they're extremely inconsistent from game to game. But Verds is a player who I think if he's able to get back to the type of uh, physical status that he was before this injury, if he gets all of his speed and explosiveness back, if he gets his power back and the like, he is absolutely trending to be one of the top, what, 10 to 15 players in the world at some point. He's only 19. I mean, it's it's scary how much talent the kid has. Where I think there is a little bit of a disconnect in, in the rumors with Bayern Munich, and obviously they are going to be interested in him, is how would they use him at Bayern Munich? His best position is as a 10, which Jamal Musiala is currently slated for. But I suppose if you're Julian Nagelsmann and you're using your back three and you're going to play two attacking midfielders, uh, you don't necessarily need to cram Leroy Sané or Sadio Mane or Thomas Muller there if you have Verts and Musiala, right? That would be a pretty incredible attacking midfielder duo, if you ask me. Uh, the other problem, I think, Bayern, you know, if, if you can get past and think that Nagelsmann will make it work with Verts, and there's no reason to think that he wouldn't. I mean, he's trending toward using a back three. He's using two attack, attacking midfielders. You have two talents like that. You play them together. You might get some great fireworks. Uh, the other issue that the only issue I really can see against that, if you buy into what I'm saying there, is that it's going to cost Bayern Munich a hell of a lot of money because Verts is uh, tied down to Leverkusen through 2027. So that's a long time. Uh, and it's going to cost money to get Leverkusen to drop that commitment on Verts. I mean, we're talking probably nine figures. And if Verts is able to continue to perform like he has, and he's able to get everything back physically uh, to the point of where he was before uh, he had that knee injury, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult situation for Bayern Munich with the club's finances the way they are to justify going out and spending nine figures. Uh, for a club like Real Madrid or FC Barcelona, they have their own financial issues, but they seem to be able to have the lack of conscience to be able <laughs> to, to make moves like this and worry about the fallout later. And I think that's, you know, a situation where those clubs will be better poised to go out and make a move for Florian Verts. But we know Byron in the past has already talked to Verts' dad. We know that they've expressed interest in Verts. We know that Verts has at least a little bit of interest in Bayern Munich. I think it'll be very interesting to watch play out because 
Fertz is going to have his choice of where he wants to go, what he wants to do, which club he wants to play for. Uh, I would be totally intrigued to see how Musiala and Verts play together. And I know like we could see it as soon as this summer. Verts gets him back to the form that is good enough for Hansi Flick to include on the, the national team. We could see something like that. And for for Hansi Flick, I mean, he's going to have to really legitimately start thinking about what happens if, you know, if he has Verts and Musiala. Like, what happens then? Does he drop Verts or Musiala to the eight? Does he use Musiala or Verts as a wing? How does he make it work to get his best 11 players on the pitch? That might actually be the best indication of how Bayern Munich could use Verts, depending on what we see from Hansi Flick. And I think, you know, I'm expecting Verts to to not just get his spot back with Germany, but probably become a very important figure and get some playing time almost immediately. So I think that will probably happen. I think it will give us some insight. As for the reality of Byron getting Verts anytime soon, I don't know. I just don't know if they have the appetite to spend that kind of money. And, you know, regardless of whether Nagelsmann uses a formation that could feature Verts and Musiala at the same time or not, it's going to be very difficult for Byron to to pull together that type of offer, convince Leverkusen to sell Verts within the league, and also hold off what will surely be competing bids from FC Barcelona and Real Madrid. One other transfer rumor we saw this week was uh, Byron's alleged interest in Napoli's Victor Osiman, who, so, who has had a, just a tremendous year. I, I think the stats were 20 goals and four assists across, I think it was 24 games across all competitions. It was 23 or 24 from what I remember. It was an incredible amount. Uh, he has been extremely productive has has been a terrific player for Napoli over the past couple of seasons. And he has established himself as one of the best number nines in Europe. Is it the type of move that Bayern Munich would make, though? Is that, again, a move that would ex- really expect to cost the club nine figures at least? I mean, the figure we saw were 125 million euro. Would Bayern Munich make that move? And how much would Osimhen's salary cost? Would it blow up the salary structure? We've seen Byron be reluctant to do that in the past. I don't know if if Byron will truly get in the mix on that. I think Osimhen is going to really get a ton of interest from clubs like Man City, from clubs like Manchester United, perhaps even PSG, or even the two Spanish powers. Just because he's been that productive, he's now a proven commodity. And it's going to take a special kind of club to have the financial capacity to make the move, but also have a spot for him. When you look at a a team even like City, who is currently having some problems with Erling Haaland, I mean, it would seem redundant to go out and spend nine figures on Osimhen, who who would have to play the same role as Haaland. Uh, For Manchester United, you could make the assumption that Victor Osimhen would (laughs) absolutely go in and start from the get-go. But either way, I think you'll see the deep-pocketed clubs like Chelsea, potentially Liverpool, they're all going to kick the tires on Osman. And, you know, I don't know that Bayern is willing to get in a bidding war with any of those massive clubs. It would have to be a situation where Osman wanted to be with Bayern Munich, would take uh, a little bit of a hit in salary to play in Germany, to play with Bayern. I think all of those things would have to be in play for that kind of move to take place. It's not to say that it can't happen. It's just that you would require some, you would require a lesser deal with Napoli, which why would they do that? And it it would absolutely require Osimhen to probably lower his expectations on a salary. 
Uh, because inevitably, if you went to a PSG or you went to uh, Real Madrid or somewhere like that, they're going to give him what he wants. So uh, those two rumors I thought were the big ones of the week. Uh, you know, we'll follow them, but you know, there are a lot of moving parts with these, and I, I, I don't know. It, it takes a lot for me to think about how how it could all work, just because we know that Bayern is. Listen, they might spend a little more this summer, but a lot of it's going to be depending on what happens with on the movement with some other players, particularly when you have Coman, you have Gnabry, Sané, players that that might potentially start to look around. You also have the uncertain situation with Ken Solo. So uh, a lot of moving parts. We will follow them at BFW. The last thing I wanted to hit on this week was just some quick thoughts on The Last of Us. I did watch the latest episode. thought it was really, really well done. We got to the point where we saw Joel and Ellie reach one of their initial destinations, and that was to, uh, I guess, have a reunion with Joel's brother. I thought that part was very interesting in terms of how Joel and Ellie were found course it was by that community and just the interactions that we saw with the characters and the long time that joel had not seen his brother and how they interact i thought it was all great i thought there were just some some really key parts of the story it kept the it kept the whole episode flowing and interesting and, and entertaining which is to me the, the biggest thing what was crazy is what's once that Joel and Ellie got to the college campus and they saw that the fireflies were not there and they ran into the Raiders, you almost started to sense something really bad was going to happen. And of course, what was really bad was that Joel ends up with the handle of a baseball bat in his midsection um, and, and not getting hit with it, like stabbed with it. It would appear to be inadvertently stabbed. But anyway, uh, the episode ends with Joel basically blacking out and Ellie calling to him, uh, trying to keep him alive. Uh, the previews for next week don't show Joel at all, but I I don't know. And I have been very open and honest about this. I don't want to read about the storyline from the game. I want to try and absorb this as a, uh, just as its own entity without knowing much about the game and its story or even like spoilers or anything like that. I just kind of want to just see how this develops. So hard to avoid spoilers these days, but uh, I just want to take this as its own experience. And I, I will say that I don't think Joel is dead. And that's, you know, that may seem extremely obvious to everyone, right? And And probably is. But if you were just, I think, someone coming at it from my point of view and you didn't even know there was a game story to this, you probably would wonder how the hell the guy would survive that given where they are, given what happened to them, uh, and given what the preview showed. So, um, you know, I'm still in on it. I think it's very been very good so far. It's been some ups and downs. They're not, I don't always agree with how they arrange episodes. I don't agree with how they dedicate some of the time in the episodes. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. And that's that's all I ask for, really. Is it worth my hour or 45 minutes or wherever, however long these episodes are? Is it worth my time every week to invest? So far, so good. So I'm I'm enjoying it. And that will about do it for this week's episode. Uh, please continue to check BFW for all the latest updates on Bayern Munich in Germany, and especially on what happens with this podcast. And once we figure that out, like I said, we'll let you know. But uh, we've got a lot of great writers and podcasters doing excellent work. A lot of good news stories, a lot of good opinions. And of course, we'll have all the great game coverage for the matches coming up. You can always get me on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our Tweetmeister, Tommy Adams, at Tommy Adams 71. 
Tom's been a little bit under the weather of late, so his activity might be a little bit down. But once he starts feeling better, I'm sure you'll see him on Twitter uh, all the time. And, of course, I need no name, at BFWINNN. Please catch all of our great writers and podcasters. Like I said, uh, we appreciate all the support. I think they give you a lot of good entertaining posts on our site. And always, as always, just a lot of good information on the podcast. So stick with us. Uh, we love doing this and we love having you guys around and uh, being able to interact with you. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the match. Have a couple of beers on me. Uh, just to let you know, I did enjoy a couple of beers last weekend, which was really nice. So I'm hoping to do that again. And, uh, you know, that's always a good time for me. So we will see you next time.